Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is episode 170. Uh, we are recording this... Um, we're recording this right in the aftermath of the Knicks securing their third straight horrific loss, um, which somehow just keep getting worse and worse. Uh, I, actually, you know, I don't think the OKC loss was as bad as Portland or this one, but it's more fun to say they keep getting worse and worse. Um, it was like an Oreo... It was an Oreo shit sandwich of losses. Um, and this definitely was the worst one. Uh, the Knicks losing 109, or sorry, 111, 106 to the Nets, whatever the fuck it is. They blew a 28 point lead. Um, I'm joined by my co host, as always, Prez. It's at Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are we doing? You know, it was an interesting game for me emotionally because as they were up, I was like, you know, maybe naively, I was like, maybe they'll, they'll, maybe they'll just stick around so much that it'll be fine. And I have a group chat that I'm on, and they were like, "Come on, bro!" And lo and behold, the usual happened. And then, for the first time this season, I actually wanted them to lose. Like once, I think it was right around when the Nets tied it. Not and that's different a different feeling from like they deserve to lose, which has happened many times where I'm like as a basketball fan, I'm like they're not like if they're playing it's because of if they're winning, it's because of luck. like we've had games like that, but this one was the first time I was like, I actually want them to lose, not just for well for for tank reasons because this is stupid because they deserve to lose, and then because like like I've been saying for a couple weeks now like this like we can like Tibbs can really like they they might get him out of here before the end of the season if this shit continues because like like I've said it a million times every every front office has their threshold for losing on non-intentionally tanking teams and it's easy to say that doesn't exist when you don't think you'll approach it but I've been telling y'all for a while now we're going to approach it and we're going to find out where that threshold is. And I'm pretty comfortable saying at this point, like barring a miraculous turnaround post all-star break, uh, the minimum is going to be Tibbs not coming back this year. Uh, I mean, sorry, next year, but I I think he's done. I I think, I don't think there's any way you can bring him back after that. There's absolutely, if they bring him back after that, I want all these fucking guys fired. I want every single one out of here. That is one of the most pathetic, embarrassing... Forget this... The game in isolation is bad enough, but weird shit happens in the NBA. Okay, weird the, shit happens... The fourth, let's, let's, let's get right to it. Let's talk about we, the we, fourth we, quarter coaching, and then we'll talk about all the other foibles. Let's go we, backwards like a Chris Nolan movie. Yeah, we're going to do that, but before we get started, uh, I do have to announce to people uh, that if you're a Knicks fan, there are places to commiserate with other Knicks fans. Uh, 
one of them being the Strickland. And the Strickland does have a Patreon now. Uh, if you, There are many tiers you can subscribe to. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Pod Strickland, every Friday. It also gets you access to my mailbag that I do with Jeremy and Drew every other week. Um, that is fun, uh, and it's great, and it's dandy. Uh, it also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where everybody is talking about how happy they are watching this team night to night and how pleased they are with the job that Tom Thibodeau is doing. Um, we also talk about other stuff like the Sopranos, uh, music. Sometimes we have extended debates about the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, but there are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda. It also gets you access to, to a solo pod I do. Uh, which isn't really that exciting. Uh, it's called Strick and Roll. But if you want to listen to me yell more about the Knicks, you can do that. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a $50 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. All of those come with additional benefits like merchandise discounts, listening in uh, watch parties for games, listening in pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod one day. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is much appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado... Uh, let's get back to talking about our New York Knicks. Um, yeah, the fourth <laughs> quarter was, I mean, I don't even think it's the entire second half played out. I, you know, I can't, this is when it started. It started with six minutes left in the, in the second quarter. That is when it started. The Knicks are up 27. Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly are, they are having, the time of their lives. They're it's been prancing. a while since we've, since we've seen them like this. They were prancing and frolicking around the garden. They were running the nets off the floor. They were getting dunks at will. It was it was a track meet, with, except, you know, we were the only sprinters there. They were like me at a track meet. Um, they were like me versus Usain Bolt. It was a joke. And Tibbs, as Tibbs is wont to do, stuck to his rotations. He took quickly out. He took Obi out, and he eventually took... Actually, he took quickly out first, by the way. Took quickly out first, then he eventually took Grimes... Or, sorry, uh, Reddish and Obi out. Um, and the starters came back in, and they just about did enough. They did They did enough of their unsustainable bullshit three-point shot making uh, at the end of the first half to go into the... To only have the lead down to 21. It was 27... Or, sorry, it was 28 at one point. When quickly when I was 27... So only 21 at halftime. They came out in the third quarter, and it was this entire second half played out exactly like every second half plays out, right? Starters come out, they're flat, they don't get into anything, there's no pace, they don't get into the paint, uh, Kemba's not doing anything, Julius kind of settles, first jumpers, uh, and it just, it just you know, they, they didn't do it. And then the defense fell apart. The defense fell apart. Mitch picked up, well, I gotta say this too, Mitchell Robinson was atrocious tonight. Like, a complete, like, you are, you're playing for a contract. You're playing for a contract. What he did tonight, I would, like, games like that, I don't want to pay him. I, it terrifies me, actually, when I see a game like this to pay him. He he kept third, three fouls coming into the fucking third, into the third quarter. He commits a foul because he just fell asleep on a basic cut from Andre Drummond, who isn't exactly, you know, he's not sneaking around out there, Andre Drummond. Pretty big guy. Um, he falls asleep and picks up a four, his fourth foul. Like, I don't even know what to say about that, but it was it was basically indicative of so much of this game's performance. Um, the Knicks were hot. 
and they just fell asleep. And it, it the, and that entire falling asleep comes from the coach. It comes from the coach. Like he he gambles, and his gambles are all stupid. They're not high risk gambles. They're not even that's, high reward. That's gambles. the thing that gets me. Like I tweeted this, but like even even if you really do want to stick with your starters. You can, it's not unheard of to just pull a guy for like one or two minutes and say, Hey, like, come on, leader, get your head in the game, or if it's Julius or whatever, and then just put him back in. Like, your your team is probably not going to fall apart more than it's fa- currently falling apart. So, why not just, even if it's, it doesn't even have to be a minute, it could be a fucking TV timeout, like, whatever. Like, it's, there's lots, there's so many different ways for a coach to, address it and he just chooses to assume that i don't know maybe that all the players have a mind meld with him or that they'll all try as hard as he would like them to try or, or I, I don't know what he's thinking but it's it's just very silly for him to you know continue jeff and gundy didn't beat the drum as much as he did last time the knicks were on tv of with him, but... I, don't say I of course he didn't because jeff van gundy was too busy making fucking excuses for his pal on tv tonight that's what he was too busy doing oh julius isn't running back the the franchise player has to set the example fucking eat shit jeff okay the <laughs> franchise player has been getting away with it all season because your fucking butt buddy is letting him like you can sit there i, I understand it's very hard to hold the proverbial franchise player accountable, but you Again, can't. That's the, you, see, I don't even think I don't even think that's the case. That's the worst part about this shit. People act like any sort of, and I mean, it it it's harder now that you've waited the whole fucking year. But like, it's very easy to just handle this shit early in the year, so the expectation becomes everybody can get held accountable a little bit, and you can do it early in the year without fucking embarrassing anybody. And that's that's why. It's, this whole the way this thing has unfolded is just to self sabotage himself in so many ways. Like by not holding him accountable later, when there's a gun to his head, he has less options because he knows how bad it looks now. And it's the same thing in terms of tactical adjustments, which is a drum I've been beating, or some people on Twitter and elsewhere think that you know average coach, average Joe coach in the NBA would would have make about as effective tactical adjustments as Tibbs, which is. Just horseshit. Like we we see this shit. We see this shit every game. Like you don't have to. We can stop pretending now that like something as simple as Cam Thomas, who is only good at one thing, pulling up in the mid range, and Tibbs ignoring the 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 obvious solution to that to the point where Steve Nash looked like Red Auerbach just spamming the same action literally like five times in a row, and it's insane. And like I, I really want the people who insist that he's done an average job this year or, you know, reasonable given the roster. Tell me the names of the coaches in the NBA right now this year who are who who are doing worse with the talent that they have. Who are like like yes, we don't have as much talent. We're doing much worse than that. Like so, like guys, in case you forgot, like yes, we don't have a lot of talent. This team is 3 and 17 or whatever, in their last 20 games. We're, I, I promise you, however bad you think this roster is, we're not 3-17 and 17 bad. It's, I it's promise also, you. It's also like, I don't want to hear this shit when, like, nothing, you know this, because you know me fairly well. You know that nothing makes me <laughs> want to, like, stop <laughs> myself. Like, actually commit self-harm. Seppuku. <laughs> Than, com- than complimenting the Chicago Bulls. Nothing in life <laughs> cuts me to my core more than this. These fucking guys- I can't even, listeners, I can't even send Schwinn a stray 
Ayo Desumu highlight. Not even a star, a role player highlight, because it just triggers this man. So that's what. Take that in mind when he tells you what he's about to tell you right now. Like, like these fucking guys have been out. They've been without Lonzo Ball. They've been without Alex Caruso. Levine's been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Vucevic played like a bunch of fucking crap for a long ass time. Like, they have had to deal with a lot of shit. And guess what? They started a rookie point guard. They're reaping the benefits of taking of rolling the dice because he's been really good for them. Um, like Kobe White, he went into the starting lineup. He's producing. Like you cannot when the, you see a team like that that's been ravaged with injuries way more than the Knicks have, by the way, uh, and was hit by COVID probably harder than the Knicks were. Yeah, they have like Vooch yeah. and like no, uh, they just signed Tristan Thompson. All right, like so that's where they're at. <laughs> and and they they are I think they're tied at the top of the East or whatever the fuck they're the thirty and twenty one. Like I do not want to hear about the the guys aren't playing well enough or the talent or the whatever. If guys aren't playing well enough and all you are is is a product of the talent that is put on the floor, then you're not doing anything as a coach. I can do that. You can do that. Anybody can do that. Anybody can just go out there, call names out, and and that's it. Like that's not coaching. Coaching is actually trying to like coax more out of your team, and not just by constantly saying, "Oh, like like I don't want to hear any more about we got to execute better, you got to compete harder." Like like you point out the Cam Thomas thing, and and I I mentioned this I think maybe in our last pod or whatever, but like you are not presenting. You have to present different problems to other teams, okay? Not everything is going to be we have to execute better. Like, today, Cam Thomas is a guy whose game is designed to take advantage of drop coverage, right? That is objective. This isn't subjective. This is objective. Yeah, like, that is is the whole scouting report. (laughs) He he is a a pretty great, I mean, yeah, pretty great, I would say, uh, pull-up shooter, especially for mid-range, okay? That is what he does. If you play drop, and you just play drop and play drop and play drop and play drop and you never throw anything else at him, then all you're doing is you're putting all the pressure, one, on your perimeter defender to get over screens every single time without fail and staying attached to him, and two, you're allowing him to see the same coverage and know exactly what's coming, where the help's if anything is happening, and, and just adjust to it and get comfortable. And here's the other thing. Because the Knicks never experiment, they never experiment defensively. They never play Obi and Randall together as the four and five and have them start blitzing and trapping or anything. They, or switch. or They never experiment. So what happens is, at the end of this game, he called a timeout. And he actually tried to start throwing traps at him. And, do, and guess what? The help defense had no fucking clue what they were doing. Because you have never done it all fucking year. And you get what you deserve. He has deserved this all year. People have been making fucking excuses for him. And I'm sick and tired of it. There is no excuse for this. This is fundamentally down to the coach. Could Julius Randle have taken better shots and given more of a shit in the third quarter? 1,000% yes. Could Kemba Walker move? I I don't know. Maybe. I assume that he probably could move a little bit better. Could Grimes have not fallen asleep on like three straight Bruce Brown back cuts? Could the Knicks have boxed out better? Yes, all of these things could happen. But you know what else can also happen? You can also make tactical adjustments as a coach. And when your team puts you out to a 28-point lead, you got no excuses. You got no excuses. Not not for the third straight game where you blew a double-digit lead in the second half. Not for the second time in three games that you blew a 20-point lead in the second half. Not for the third time in the last seven games you've blown a 20-point lead. Not for the fifth time in the last seven games you've blown a double-digit lead in the second half. And by the way, the one win in this entire stretch 
that they didn't blow a lead in the second half and got a double digit, and that didn't blow a double digit lead in the second half, they won by two points and nearly gave up a game tying bucket to Clay Thompson. If you look at the Knicks, all of their crunch time stats this year, their defense basically falls off a goddamn cliff in the fourth quarter. Why? Because if you look at most teams, most teams will have one guy or two guys or whatever, multiple guys that can effectively attack drop coverage over and over and over and over and over again and are comfortable taking mid-range jumpers. Why is it, do you think, that the Knicks don't get a steady diet of drop coverage? Because other teams, literally 29 of 30 other teams, do not religiously stick to drop coverage no matter what. Even motherfucking Mike Budenholzer learned his lesson. Mike Budenholzer learned his lesson. I cannot have to do things other than drop coverage. So the Bucks do things other than drop coverage now. It is ridiculous. One, and one, I just, one, one last thing. One last thing. I just got to say this. I have to say this. Because Frank Vogel has gotten a lot of criticism this year for his coaching. I would be lying to you if I said I've watched a shit ton of Lakers and I fully understand their situation. From what I gather, a lot of the criticism is a lot. It seems to be about offensive sets and all this kind of shit. All I will say is this. That man is on a much hotter seat than Tibbs was this entire year. Much, much hotter seat. Much more actual pressure to deliver. He, this man is doing shit like playing LeBron at the five. This man is doing stuff like benching fucking Russell Westbrook at the end of games. Tibbs is not doing any of that. He is not pushing any buttons. He is not trying anything new. He is not taking any risks other than to keep betting on the same over-the-hill vets that keep dropping him games in the same exact schemes that keep dropping him games over and over and over again. And for that, he should be gone. He should be out of here. Thank you for helping this team and franchise get back to respectability last year. Thank you for creating some semblance of a foundation. Um, and that's it. That's all I can say because there's nothing else he deserves credit for because everything this season has been complete and utter bullshit. There you go. That was such a good end to the rant. I don't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, yes, I do. The one time, uh, the, the irony of the, of the drop coverage example of, uh, of how coaches do coaching when they have their heads on their shoulders is um, what quickly was in Drummond and the Nets repeatedly went to the drop and he took advantage of them. This was the first time we've seen multiple floaters in a game for quickly in a while. This was his best game of the season on offense. And, uh, at least from a shot making perspective and, um, eventually quickly got taken out. Like it's, it's so like they, the other Steve Nash was making the same mistake, uh, for a minute there that Tibbs was making, but only one coach, uh, one coach didn't recognize it. The other coach took Andre Drummond out, and uh, Tibbs Tibbs took quickly out, even though nobody nobody could uh, provide rim protection, and quickly was the only one shooting shots going toward the rim today. Um, unlike uh, Julius Randle, who insists on shooting fadeaways even when they don't go. But again, I'm not gonna like Julius had an annoying game, an annoying thirty and ten game. Uh, he had a fantastic shooting first half and equally awful shooting second half but today's really not about julius um it's it, it's what you said it's about tibbs and i i i'm gonna say the same thing i say every week i don't think he's gonna make it to the end of the year um i don't think you can have you i don't think you can do what he's doing and and have a and have and be teflon i'm looking at a list on wikipedia right now of all the current coaches and i'm trying to see who 
who else is in the same universe of like underperformance or just complete question mark like fuckery and just going down the list like I know some Hornets fans are perturbed by James Borrego um there's a couple of coaches that are coaching bad teams but those teams are supposed to be bad like Dwayne Casey and the Pistons um uh uh who's the magic coach um Fucking Mark, Mark, I can't pronounce his name. The Thunders coach, they're supposed to be bad. So, you know, and he's doing a, he's doing a good job with the young kids, all things considered, I think. Um, Jay Kidd is doing his thing. JB Bickerstaff is doing his thing. Billy Donovan's doing his thing. Steve Nash is in a, is the Nets coach. Udoka is finally doing his thing after a rough start. Um, Silas is probably the only one I'd put in the same category as the Knicks, but he has the benefit of his team was supposed to be bad, and he's making dumb coaching decisions, per what I understand from uh, Rockets Twitter, from dipping dipping my head. It, 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 seems, it seems like he's doing some boomerish things with a, right, with a team that's right. clearly developing, um, and that sucks, but like... Like I get, yeah, he's not different. underperforming the talent level. He's underperforming the what only for, from a development perspective. Exactly. The only uh the only coach I personally would really put in here, and maybe because this is the team I watch the second most, is Wes Unseld on the Wizards, and obviously they have their own clusterfuck brought on by Bradley Beal having a regression year and then Dinwiddie deciding to ignore medical science and just hoop for vibes before his knees disintegrated. Um, but even with that, like the wizards have done some very weird, questionable things like not play their best centers and just do weird. They just do weird stuff. But uh, even, even the wizards are like now with this weird post trade deadline team, they have trying new things out. I mean, they, they did a big roster change, and they don't have Bradley Beal, so they kind of have to. But like, it's really not many teams in the same, not many coaches who are in the same universe of foibles as Tibbs, man. And that, and that's what I don't think people realize. Just I've talked about a term um, for player evaluation that I jokingly call Knicks goggles, um, which is when Knicks fans overrate. And I'm guilty of this as much as any Knicks fan. When Knicks fans overrate certain qualities of of uh, certain Knicks players because of the lack of that quality around the rest of the roster, and the example you always give last year is you know Reggie Bullock's defense, which is good, but like we cheated him like this motherfucker was prime Tony Allen for large swaths of last year, when in reality he's just fine. And I think I really truly believe this because we're Knicks fans, right? We're not paid to watch other teams. You, Schwinn, watch more of other teams than 99.9% of even other diehard Knicks fans. For some reason, you watch a lot of Kings games, things like that. Like Even other people who write for the Strickland and contribute to the Strickland don't watch that many other games. The occasional national game, but like we really think that things like a center setting a screen on the weak side or using your best shooters off of screens, off of ball, not on ball. Like those things are some sort of extra special sauce, only only to be delivered by the, the most elite of coaches, the Tyron Lues and you know the 
whoever, um, whoever you think the, the good coaches in the NBA are, right? Like Spo or whatever, Quinn Snyder, I don't know. And it's really not, there's really not the case. NBA coaches are pretty good at their jobs for the most part. Like every, every fan base has quibbles with their coach, right? It's in, even in good seasons for the most part, unless you're like riding the ultimate wave of everything going right, like the Grizzlies or something, or like the Bucks right now. Um, every team has their, every fan have their issues, but like it's bullshit to pretend that this is similar to what, you know, teams like, you know, the Wizards or Portland or these other teams are dealing with. Like, no, those teams all, for the most part, have sensible ideas and sometimes the execution suffers. Tibbs does not implement sensible ideas and it's, 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 we, we need to just like admit that. Can, can we also just like have an honest conversation about something? Like, we sat here, and this is why I absolutely hate discussing. I don't, we're just, we can talk about it man, quickly because quickly had a good game. Guess what? Quickly, I want to just say this because people have had the dumbest revisionist <laughs> history about his entire fucking season. Uh, the, the common wisdom was that it became because, and I, I, I completely accept that like, over the last month, he's shot horribly, absolutely horribly, like, like, unconscionably bad Frank Nilakina levels of garbage, right? Like, just really, really bad. Um, before that, if you just look at his season, which is, about, I think it was at that time, it was about 31 games. If you look at his season up until that Celtics game where RJ hits the game winner, uh, even if you go to the next Celtics game, if you just cut it off there, basically all his stats, all of his efficiency numbers, shooting percentages are more or less roughly in line with what they were last year. His three-point percentage is a little bit down. His true shooting in the EFG are a little bit down. But basically, you know, the, the same. It's it's roughly the same. And this is, again, playing, obviously, as we all know, playing a lot of minutes without Derrick Rose, who people like to now say because of this past month, well, he's why quickly, you know, quickly can't play with another, he can't play without a point guard. He's not a point guard. He's not this. He's not that. He's not whatever these things. I really don't give a shit what he is or what he's not or what he can do and what he struggles with and who his dad is or what the fuck. None of that. <laughs> I don't really give a shit about any of that. What matters to me is when he played well to start the year, and I think we would all say he played well to start the year, when he played well and Obi played well and all these guys played well, none of them, they, their minutes didn't increase. Their role didn't increase. Their responsibility didn't increase. It's said exactly the same. So why is it then that I'm supposed to believe it's okay that when he struggles, then that his minutes go down. Because at the same time, while quickly is struggling and his minutes go down, Burks is struggling and his minutes go up. His role goes up. His responsibilities go up. He gets work. He gets designated as a crunch time closer for this team. That's like legitimately a transition that happened through the course of the season. So this whole fucking idea of accountability and shit, it's a bunch of bullshit. Okay. It has nothing to do with accountability. And this thing that people have been using about quickly, like this team, if you use, if you just go by the fucking basic on-off stuff, the lineup data, all that shit, I promise you this team, is it great? No, it's not great. It's probably around 500 though. I, you, you probably win four or five of these last six or seven losses you've had. Like, that, it is really that simple. Like, it is not, like, we're not asking Tibbs. Quickly, be, is, is, quickly is mostly... He's shooting a little more poorly, but like it's approaching his career norms. Evan Fournier is shooting his career norms, maybe even above that. Julius Randle, still not hitting jumpers, still getting lots of buckets the last two weeks, three weeks. Mitch 
this game and last game inside, been cleaning up. Even Taj, hitting over 40% for three because he's been making a bunch of threes lately. Um, Quentin Grimes, shooting outstanding over the last the last month or so. So, like, I understand that this roster has its limitations, but this isn't... It's not like, oh, everybody on the team is... is this is just nobody's... nobody's Everybody's game is, is playing below average. Like, that's not the case at all. It's, the, you, you, these players right now are less than the sum of their parts. And just like we gave credit when the players are more than the sum of their parts last year, um, that's because a team is made up of multiple players moving as a coach designed. And if, if the team is playing like less than the sum of their co- parts, you can usually look towards the coach for an explanation. It would be different if, you know, like it was earlier in the season when Julius was, was, was playing like shit. And, you know, it's very hard to win when your top player is playing like shit. And we, took him to task for that readily as well as Tibbs for all of his stuff. But like as much as I can complain about Julius's shot selection and him, you know, there's lots of things I could complain about, but like the guy still drew 10 free throws and shot 50% from the field and, you know, did his thing for the most part, 30 and 10. Like if we, if I got this kind of weird Julius where he makes half of his jumpers and gets 30 and 10, like, I'd be ecstatic if I got that, Julius. So, it's this is, like, miss me with the talent thing. Like, I've just, this nothing has frustrated me more over the last two weeks than than that exact claim uh, in different parts of Nick's land. Is, oh, the, you know, the roster isn't isn't that great. Like, fuck off. Like, it's, it's, yes, it's not that great. But, like, look at the fucking, look around the league, man. Like, none of these teams have world-beating talent in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. It's insane. Like, it's... Who do you think these guys are? Like, we're not, they're not all the, the bulls and the heat. Like, we're, the Nets are eighth right now, and they haven't had anybody who's a, they like have one star at a time or no stars at a time. They did not have KD. They did not have Kyrie. They did not have Ben Simmons. They've won two in a row. Okay. They literally got, they got nothing really. Like, they didn't have anybody have some amazing games. The two and eight in their last 10. The Hawks are five and five in their last 10. The Wizards are three and seven in their last 10. Detroit Those are the teams immediately. Tonight. Detroit <laughs> went into Boston tonight and won by a point. Motherfucking Detroit won by a point against the hottest team in the NBA. By far the hottest team in the NBA. Like, you cannot... There is no... The, the excuses that have been fucking pouring out of people's mouths for this guy. Like, what? Are you married to him? Like, are you a blood relative? Is he your dad? Like, the thing I don't get that, that, that peeves me real quick. Let me go on a rant. Like, pe- people's fear of saying, like, Tibbs deserves to be gone is rooted purely in, like, uh, we don't, we don't want to deal with jokes about, uh, the Knicks fired another coach. They can't keep a coach. Guess what? Like, I'm so, like, yes, that sucks, but think about it in real life situations. Say you work for a company and they're paying you really well, so you want to stay there, but your boss is the worst. And then they fire him or her or them. And then you get a new boss. And that boss also sucks. Guess what? You just, it's okay to want, you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting a boss who doesn't suck. Like, I know it's a crude metaphor, but like, who gives a who gives a fuck what the media thinks? Like I want the kids we have to be good and put in a position to succeed because I want all kids in any profession to be put in a position to succeed, but particularly the ones who are employed by the basketball team that I like and spend a lot of time watching. And I also want the front office who has a plan to actually see that plan carried out in a way that isn't like insane. 
you know, I want I want the players they get to be used in the ways that they should be used. I know that seems like a crazy thing to ask of Tibbs, but like that's not what we have this season. It's far from it. So I I just I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of that. That whole well, like the you know, it's a bad look and you know, we've gone through so many coaches, bro, like Alright, if you don't want to fire him in season, I will live with that as long as you acknowledge like what what is gonna happen in the meantime. And I'll also live with that because that means we're gonna rack up losses and rack up ping pong balls if I'm keeping it one hundred. But that's the only reason. Um But before we continue ranting, hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. You like 360 windmills, press? I don't know. Sorry, I was on mute. Don't worry. I love 360 windmills, similar to the windmill we saw by Deuce McBride in Westchester today. Nice. Uh, new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge crash cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope and why four six seven three six nine. Um, yeah, look, uh, it's impossible to talk about anything else, but really the the shit show that has been Tibbs. Um, but I, I and I actually, I mean, it's still in the same vein. I think Tibbs is. I think he's been coaching pissed off this year. I think he's been coaching to prove a point, and I think he completely lost the plot. Um, I shared this with you earlier, but I'm now going to share this theory uh, with all of our listeners. Uh, I have a theory about what happened with everything going on this year. Why is the season fucked up? Why are the vibes fucked up? Here's my thinking. And I'm literally going to read what I sent you. I think Tibbs got on board with the Kemba signing. But pretty early on, was out on him and was pissed at the front office that they didn't get a better better point guard for him. I think that's exactly why his leash was, I mean, much quicker than anybody's uh, ever under Tibbs. Right? Like Elf got a whole year until the playoffs. So um, I think that, I think he clearly was out on Kemba very early. I thought some of his quotes earlier in the season indicated that also. Um, obviously, maybe that's just confirmation bias. But yeah, that's what I think. I thought that then to drive this home, he did the point Burks thing. Instead of going with quickly or going with Deuce, because in his head, in his head, those young players, they're not upgrades on what he had, right? They're they're developing. They're young players. They're not upgrades yet. 
he wants an upgrade. He wanted a veteran upgrade. He didn't get that, so he doesn't care that they're there, uh, and he's not going to try that. He cares and, more than people want to admit. For uh, you know, go go and get me my name brand guy. And sometimes that's yeah. Sometimes that's like not the, that's like the rusty toy, like Taj and D Rose. But a lot of the times, it's also the shiny toy. Like you know, go get me Jimmy Butler. You know, things like that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's exactly what happened there. Uh, I think he did not, and I think this is the key thing. In his head, they went forty-one and thirty-one. So the I mean, they were the fourth seed, and they lost in the first round. So the next step is what? The next step is get me a point guard so that I can go out and get you to the conference finals, compete for a title. Um, he wanted the front office to make moves like that, and he cannot accept that. He even no matter what roster you give him, he cannot accept that stagnation is okay. Even a slight regression might keep be okay. I don't think Tibbs would be in any danger if the Knicks were at the same record they are right now. But he was playing the young guys a lot more, and we had more signs of positive development from them. I don't think that he'd be in any danger. I don't even think Knicks fans would be calling for his head. I think we'd all be like, yeah, that's kind of okay. Uh, I mean, we'd probably debate the shit out of it, because that's what we do. But I think for the most part, there would not be like this widespread demanding he be fired. Right? Um... And then I think because of how he managed all of that, right? Like, think about how the Kemba thing was managed. At least what Kemba said is he was not, he was not, Tibbs never communicated it to him directly. I don't know what that means exactly. I do think it's probably something where he just didn't explain his decision to Kemba. He just told him what it was. Um, you got to understand when you sign a guy like Kemba, when you make that type of move, like, it's not just, it's not like Leon Rose just came up one day and was like, you know what? We can sign Kemba. That's it. No, no, no. That's like probably somebody in the front office. Like the way this shit works is they have all kinds of options for a free, for like the offseason starts, right? Somebody's probably brought up the option of like, Hey, Kemba Walker might be good. Like this, we can probably get him for cheap. Like if he gets bought out, blah, blah, blah. That's somebody who put their neck on the line saying, you know, this is the guy. Now it's obviously a failed signing, sunk cost, whatever. But there's a way to do these things properly and politically that doesn't ruffle feathers. I don't think Tibbs did that. And I don't think he did that because of how it was done. He just casually brought it up in a press conference after a game. Like we had ne- There wasn't even a, a rumor or an inkling that he was going to make a lineup change before that. And he just announced that he was. And here's the other thing. And you got to realize this. I, I've told this to you. I think you agree. Who was banging the table for the Knicks to draft Emmanuel quickly. Who was it? Roll West. It's Roll West. Roll West has been with Leon since before Leon was with Leon. Since before <laughs> Leon's wife was with Leon. Since before anybody was with Leon, West has been with Leon. So there's this whole debate going on now, like who's the loudest voice in the front office? Leon's the loudest voice in the front office. But you want to know who the fuck he trusts more than anybody else? It's Wes. That's who he trusts more than anybody else, more than his mother, more than his wife, more than his kids, more than James Dolan, more than anybody he trusts Wes. Okay? This man went to Point Burks. Okay? He went to Point Burks. That is, in a lot of ways, a slap in the face to a lot of people in the organization. To whoever advocated that they signed Kemba, to whoever, in this case, Wes, who pounded the table for quickly, who probably is extremely bullish on Quickly's upside as a player. I would doubt. I doubt that's a that's just a West thing, by the way. Uh, I would imagine that's multiple people in the front office that are very bullish on Quickly's upside. Um, whoever 
push for Deuce, if that was Tibbs or whatever it was, I'm sure that got signed off by people in the front office. They provided options at the point guard position aside from Derrick Rose and Kemba Walker. Just because Tibbs didn't like them, he I think he had a fucking temper tantrum. I think he I think this entire season has been a one glor- long temper tantrum from him. I think he went to Point Burks to send a message of you didn't get me a point guard, so this is what I gotta do to grind out wins. And guess what? The wins ain't coming. The wins are not coming. And I think that that move and how he handled it, and the fact that he had to tuck his tail and go back to Kemba because he had a player of the week, and now even though Kemba's playing like absolute shit, he won't go away from it because he already lost face doing this once. So he won't go away from it now. He's made his bed, so he has to live with it. I think he's caused a lot of internal discord. I think he's probably damaged a lot of relationships with himself and the front office. Um, and I think, I thought even, I, I, you can vouch for this. I sent you this before the game today. I think the decision to can him has already been made. And I think all that they're doing was waiting for when should we do it? When should it happen? When should we pull the trigger? And tonight, he might have given them the perfect opportunity. Because you're done. You're do, you done. Think, do you think it cuts, like, having the break? And yes. all that cuts in favor, or like is that like more spectacle, more media time to dwell on it? I mean, isn't it, it makes a perfect? It's a perfect opportunity to make a change, right? Like just fundamentally, because presumably the Knicks have nobody at All Star Weekend other than Obi Toppin, uh, who's doing the dunk contest, and hopefully he wins this time. Uh, but that's it. The Knicks have nobody else at All Star Weekend this year. Um, I would assume that a bunch of guys will be still working out at Westchester. I know that you probably, I don't know if you can do organized team activities during that time, but let's just say I'm not sure how strictly all these things are managed by the NBA. I think it would be a very perfect time for interim head coach Johnny Bryant to get a lay of the land himself as the head honcho. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it definitely cuts in favor of me. And look, like, let's be real. The way this happened tonight with James Dolan there, I mean... He apparently left after Cam Thomas made the three. He also apparently gave Julius Randle a hug during the game today, according to Stefan Bondi, which, yeah, that's cool. Um, shout out good guy James Dolan. Uh, all, the player, all the players for ages have loved him. Yes, yeah, all of them. All news. Love him. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love him too. They say, paying me millions of dollars, I'll love whoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, I think, I think this has been brewing for a while. And I, I'll say this too. I think, like, you brought up the stuff about it's hard to be happy when you know your coach is putting you at like, like this is, this is two years in a row that Tibbs has actively decided to play Julius with a point guard or point guards that do nothing for him. They don't do anything for him. And like, you just watch him when he's on the floor with quickly versus when you watch him on the floor with Burks or watch him on the floor with Kemba and stuff like that. First of all, he doesn't have to do nearly as much in terms of just not. I'm not even talking about initiating in the half court, but just pushing the ball at the floor. Like, do you know how much that shit takes out of you? Like, you have to be the guy bringing the ball at the floor every single time. He's also probably the best contested defensive rebounder in the team, arguably. Um, like, I, I think he like people are underestimating the kind of workload that he is under in that starting lineup. Not to mention, we have this new kind of uh, directive to push the pace. Who the fuck is pushing the pace in that starting lineup other than 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 Julius Kemba, Fournier? Like Grimes isn't trusted to do that. Mitch ain't dribbling the ball up the floor, so it's just Julius. Right, there's only two, there's only two players who are allowed to inbound the ball or not inbound the ball, bring the ball up. It's really Julius and Kemba, and 
And Julius gave, like you said, he gives it a shot, and sometimes he gets tired later. But like again, it's it's hard to blame him not only because he has the the workload of being the point guard and the rebounder um, or one of the rebounders, but you know, like I've talked about this before, I I truly think as a consequence of him losing confidence in his jumper, which is not back yet, by the way, he's playing very well in spite of that, not because that has changed, even though he made a couple um, uh, in the first half today that were, I'm sure he was very happy to see go down. But the the change in his game, we saw this even earlier in the season when he was really lost. Like he's, he's getting to the rack a lot and his shot percentage of shots from zero to three feet has skyrocketed this year. And, and then in the last, uh, you know, in the last two weeks where he's been focusing a little bit more on quick decisions and on being the role man, uh, I haven't compared his, his free throw rate, you know, in the month of February to uh, the, pri- the prior month, but I'm sure it's way, way, way higher. It feels like he's drawn a lot of fouls and that shit hurts. I know he's a big dude, but like it's, that shit hurts, man. It's so it, it's, it kind of goes back to something we talked about last week, which is beyond the philosophical stuff about the kids and player evaluation and player development beyond playing your best players, like at a very fundamental level, like even beyond all that, like you're a coach, you have to take care of the guys on your team physically. He fails that test. He fails it. Very obviously, like we saw what happened with RJ, you know, this is without even going to the, the rest of his career, right? Like, I, I, I'm guilty as anybody as last year saying like, oh, like he, he was mostly fine. He managed the minutes, he did, you know, he did all that. It was great. It worked out well. Like, yeah, it like it did work out last year. And for the most part, we had a lot more depth. We had a lot less injuries. So, you know, when, when we did have to spell guys, it was a lot easier for him to do it. And Sure, you know, a spell last year might have been Julius or RJ playing 30 minutes instead of 34. But when you have shit like what we saw uh, the last game with Mitch playing 40 minutes on a shit ankle, like you wonder why he was asked today. I promise you that was part of it. Andre Drummond might suck, but he's going to fuck you up. Like, promise you that was part of it. Burks lost all bounce. Not just in his layups, but his jumpers. Uh, you know, so like this is obliviousness on so many levels, and it's it, you. All, all you can do at this point is pray that injuries aren't severe, right? That it's like RJ, where it's hopefully it's not too serious of an ankle injury, and they're just taking it conservative because when RJ comes back, it's something fortunately for the front office and for RJ that Tibbs has no say in at all. So. No matter how much Tibbs complains, there's there's literally nothing he can do if RJ doesn't feel comfortable coming back and if the front office doesn't feel comfortable coming back to say nothing of the medical staff. So um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if RJ stays out a lot longer than people think. Not the whole season, um, but for a while, because unlike other things, this is something that is not up to Tibbs, and we know how the front office feels. We know they want Cam to get minutes. We know they want Obi to get minutes. Um we know West wants quick to get minutes. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the front office, but I know West does. So uh, I, I fully expect RJ to be out for a while um, just because they have to protect him. He's their guy, right? He's their, he's their franchise young guy. So why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably fine now. Um, I, I don't know if he'd be out after this game. 
Um, and I gotta say, I just want to say this too. Like, I I don't I don't take any joy in like wanting Tibbs fired because I actually I I really I like Tibbs for a lot of reasons, um, and I think he did an awesome job last year. I think in some ways he's a little bit of victim of his own success, and I do think that like he probably was feeling himself a little too much because he won coach of the year and he had this kind of like renaissance season after everybody had written him off. Right. Um, and I think he's, he was feeling himself a little too much and maybe flexed a little bit too much. And he think he got himself into trouble. And when, he, you know, people, when they have their backs to the wall, right. They are going to revert to their core beliefs and tendencies. Um, like what their habits, like what they are as people. And I think you've seen over the last month, the heat's been kind of picking up, picking up slowly, picking up slowly. And if you look at the minutes and all that shit over that time, you can see Tibbs reverting to his core tendencies and bad habits as a coach, right? Not, not throw, not trying anything, actually doubling down on players. He trusts over the data, over the actual, like, cold statistical data. Um, like, th- these are his core tendencies as a coach, going with his gut instinct over what is the what are the actual numbers telling you. Um, and, you know, it's been building to this point all year. Like, again, I, I keep going back to this thing with Julius, but, like, Julius has had a lot of, I mean, God knows the bullshit that we've had to endure with Julius this year has been... Pretty spectacular, amazing meme season for Julius, by the way, but not so fun living it in the moment as a fan. Um, but like, I don't know what, like, what is that like if you as a worker go into your job and every single day you're asked to perform at the best of your capability, but you're saddled with working on a team with a guy who fundamentally makes your job so much harder to do. And you and 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 the and your boss will never change that. Well, how does that affect you mentally? How does it affect a person? Like I've we've talked about this for the past fucking month. But how does it affect a guy? How does it affect quickly? How does it affect Obi? How does it affect Reddish now, who's one of the young guys here? How does it affect these guys? We know how it affects Cam because he he's talking today. He's not like he's not the good soldier like Obi and IQ. He was like, all right, these motherfuckers want to stick me in the corner. Let me get this ball. Find out what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had no problem with it to be honest. That's what happens. This is like this is like ba- basic basketball, right? Like like we all do that. Where if you play on a team long enough and you never get the ball and you're just expected to defend and like rebound and shit, what do you do the next time you get the ball? You fucking let that shit rip, right? Like that's just what you do. That's what you do. That. You've done that, I'm sure, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't gotta ignore me for me to let it rip. <laughs> That's pretty much my default setting. <laughs> you have a type, um, but like, like this is this is what he's done, and I don't know what it's like to be one of those guys. How does it affect you? Like, how, like people are like, "Oh, quickly's in a slump. Quickly's in a slump. Quickly's in a slump." Or like, I mean, yeah, he's in a slump, but like your job as a coach for a key player, especially, and he's a key player, not just for your today, but for your future. He's a key player. Your job as a coach is to find ways to get these guys out of slumps. That can be emotional, that can be tactical, that can be whatever it is, but it's got to be something. He's done nothing. He has done absolutely nothing to get him going. Um, 
and and really he's pulled pulled like he's kind of cut his legs out from underneath him a lot of times. Um, you know, I mean that that benching in the Lakers game was absurd to me. I I didn't understand that. Like, yeah, he had a bad first half. Austin Reeves was giving him some some work somehow, and and that sucked. But like, you just pull him from the fucking entire game. The guy hasn't done that for anybody else in the team. He he's never done that with Kemba. He literally has not done that with Kemba. Like any game that Kemba started or played, he has come back into the second half. There has never been a game like that. That was revealing because it showed exact. It, it revealed hypocrisy. Um, Obi, there's nothing Obi can do to increase his role, and you know this. You know this because today, even when Mitch was, he is he's in foul trouble. What does he do? He goes to Taj. Okay, that's fine. I understand that. You go to Taj. Taj is getting absolutely fucking cooked. Absolutely cooked for the entire second half, basically. Does he even think of, I'll try Obi with Randall? No. He doesn't even try it. Look at the minutes today. Obi Toppin, 11 minutes. He played the least out of anybody in the team. Taj Gibson, 25 minutes. Taj Gibson, fun fact. Taj Gibson played more than Obi Toppin. He played more than Alec, or sorry, he played more than Cam Reddish, and he played more than who? Guess who? Emmanuel Quickly. That is so unacceptable. That is so so unacceptable, and a complete. It just reveals an entire failure of coaching, and and to this Burks thing, you know the Burks stuff. He has ruined Burks. He has ruined Burks with how he's used him and how he's run him into the ground, and that is just entirely on him. So like, all of this shit, it. it just goes back to him, and it goes back to what I truly believe is he was pissed off they did not get him Kyle Lowry. They did not. And here's another part of this. There was that rumor at the deadline, right, that they were looking to trade for Dragic. I promise you the front office's entire motivation in that trade was one, get draft compensation, but two, clear cap space for this offseason. The report was Tibbs actually wanted to fucking play this guy. This is my point. Like, if you're the front office, you have got to fire him. You have got to. Because he will not, he will not start Emmanuel quickly. No matter what quickly does, he will not start him. And I'm not saying that because I want quickly to start, that he should start. I'm not saying it because I think he's going to be a great starting point guard one day. I'm saying it because if you ever want him to develop into a starting point guard, and like if you ever want to, this is a perfect opportunity to do it. You've got 25 fucking games, whatever the fuck it is. You got 24 games, 23 games left in the season after the All-Star break. There's nothing that matters at this point in the season. All that should matter is what? All that should matter is this. Figuring out as much information about your young guys in as many circumstances as possible, that is it. That is all that matters. Around Julius Randle, around R.J. Barrett, and maybe around Mitchell Robinson, who... We gotta have an extended conversation about him a little bit later. Um, these are the only things that matter. That is it. Nothing else matters. And if Alec Burks can be a part of that as an ancillary piece, I'm fine with that because I actually like his game. I like he's a good complimentary player. And when we used him like that, he's been great. If you look at his numbers before he started, before he became a starter, I mean, he's ba- his splits as, as a starter and a bench player are ridiculous. The guy's like 59 true shooting off the bench. And he's fucking 47, 48, something like that off as a starter. So, like, Tibbs has completely nuked this guy. Um, it's just, it's an, such an all-around failure of coaching. Um, and I think it's fundamentally depressed the value of a lot of players in this team. 
and we have learned absolutely nothing about a player like Obi Toppin. All we've learned is that he's not a good three-point shooter, which, like, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, this is not a good reason to never try him and Julius together. You know, like, it's it's all bullshit. And and the other thing, too, I just want to say this. The, one of the big reasons um, that I initially did not get on him too much for not playing Julius with Obi is I do think Obi is not the strongest defensive rebounder. I can deal with, like, some of his weakness on defense itself, but on the glass, you know, he's not he's not the strongest guy. And I think I think it is okay for a coach sometimes to use the minutes as you want it. Hey, that's what he kept saying, right? He's got to rebound better. He's got to rebound better. He's got to rebound better. I think he has been rebounding better lately. Yeah, I was literally, as you were saying that, I was like, anecdotally, it feels like he's hit the glass a little bit better. So I was going to pull up... Um... I was going to try to pull up some splits, just out of curiosity. Well, don't worry, you, you have time, because I'm going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> he has been, uh, you know, he's he's done this. He's rebounded better, I think, at least anecdotally. But here's the other thing. What exactly was Todd Gibson giving you in the defensive glass today? Nothing. Nothing. He was not giving you anything. And again, this is why you have to get rid of Tibbs, because he makes you, like, hate these players that you should not hate. We should not hate Todd Gibson. I should not, like, I love Todd Gibson. I think he's such an awesome vet to have around a young team. Like, I would not hate bringing him back. But I, if I bring him back, I do not want a coach that is going to religiously lean on him over trying stuff like Obi with Julius in the front court, Obi with Mitch in the front court. Like, there is no reason on a normal night when Mitch is not in foul trouble where you cannot split the line share of minutes at the four and the five between Obi, Mitch, and Julius. There's just not. I'm sorry. Like, there really isn't. Especially not in this fucking roster. Okay? And the fundamental reality is we are never going to get that opportunity with Tibbs as the coach. And I think that it was... He deserves all the credit. I don't... I won't take... I will never take a single morsel of credit away from what he achieved last season. And I think anybody that does that is whack. I think that is really fucking corny. But... We saw in the playoffs his flaws were revealed, right? The 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 shortcomings of his approach, not, not his flaws, the shortcomings of his approach were revealed. The Knicks did not have any pivots that they developed over the course of the season. They did not have any looks they could go to. They didn't have any counters. So they died doing all the things that they practiced doing the entire fucking season. And that's okay. It was the first season. We I accepted it. Like you were establishing a foundation. And now Tibbs can start adding layers offensively, defensively, whatever the fuck. He, he had, could. He could, but he did He did not. He has not. He's done nothing. And he's actually reverted now. Even He's become more rigid to me this season than he was last year. Um, and, and the OB stuff, is it's a very small, it's a microcosm that encapsulates that l- broader kind of thing about it, him. This goes back to what I was saying about like Nick's goggles. Like, we... And, and this is one thing that I think you and I disagree on a little bit. Like his offense last year was painfully simple and it worked, especially later in the year when Julius and Reggie either through their own volition or because Tibbs and the coaching staff encouraged them to both of them upped their three point volume a shit ton and kept on draining them. Fortunately for the Knicks, but like that uptick in offense was really because we took we had a better shot profile. We and that the shot profile carried over into this year in terms of the signings that we made and just the way things work. Like we have guys 
we take a lot more three pointers now than we did last year. Cool, fine, whatever. But like, whether it was because of ineptitude or because of keeping it simple, reasonable people can disagree on. But the Knicks' offensive offense tactically last year was extremely simple, and I don't mean that in the good or bad way. I mean like it was objectively more simple than all the other offenses in the NBA, and. This year, the foundation setting thing is out the window. I don't care if you have two new starters because those two guys played together, so they have chemistry. And, I mean, Kemba's a shit show in terms of fitting into the the offense tactically, but Evan's actually pretty easy to fit in different ways. He's pretty versatile. Um, So versatile, he can even pretend to be Reggie Bullock for 50 games. And, like, Tibbs, Tibbs Tibbs has not shown any tactical acumen this year and I, I have I have some friends including my brother who been banging this drum even last year right like there's there's shit you can do that is not asking for a coach to install the triangle offense on both ends that we saw last year and we forgave it you know things like Mitch only playing drop all the time that happened last year he was even when he was slim center and we talk always talked about how awesome his switchability was. If you go, there's data now, you can go on B Ball Index and look at the data for how often Mitch guarded people other than the center. It's like one he was like one first percentile in the league for for centers. Like almost every other starting center switched more than Mitch. So like this was not when he was two hundred eighty pounds. This was when he was two hundred fifty pounds and, and nimble and healthy. So like. Things like that, like yes, you can do that on a first year team. Actually, you can you can have your center play different coverages without completely mucking things up, you know. So for it to be the same thing now with the new roster with more veteran presence and more dynamic play, like we can talk about the fit, we can talk about how guys don't pass as much as we want them to, but you can't tell me Evan Fournier is not more dynamic than fucking Reggie Bullock. You can't tell me R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly are not more dynamic this year than they were last year. Um, obviously, Julius is dynamic but can't shoot. Okay, can I, I just got to say this too. Like, he doesn't even know how when to lean on different the different dynamic components he has. Like today, in the fourth no, quarter. of course not. In the, <laughs> in the fourth quarter, in the second half, actually, the entire second half, the only thing the Knicks really had going was getting LaMarcus in, P- in pick and roll, right? If you watch the fourth quarterback, which I will never do again, by the way. I don't know if you ever want to. Go for it. Um, but if you watch the fourth quarterback, quickly runs a pick and roll. He gets a lay. He gets whatever a floater, whatever you want to call it, at the at the rim on Lamarcus. The next play down. The next play down. What does Tibbs call? He doesn't call for a pick and roll. Quickly is actually in position to run one. I think he was about to run one. Tibbs starts calling. He calls for a pistol action for Fournier. Why? Like, why are you running that? And he just went away from what worked. Then he puts in Burks for quickly, and the rest is history. Quickly doesn't come back in until we're three points down, I think. Um, I, you know, I don't know if we, I don't know if we win the game if quickly closes over Burks the entire time. Maybe we don't because the the tactical adjustments were just not there. But I mean. If the entire thing, this whole time of like, well, he's not playing these guys because they're not making shots is, you know, like, then how do you play Burks over quickly today? That that part doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, the whole thing makes my brain hurt, man. I, I, I just, I really struggle with like, 
I just don't understand what has gone on with him this year. But like fundamentally, he needed to come into this year and he needed to evolve with a roster that was evolving also, right? And not just evolving in terms of you replaced two of your starters who are totally different players than the guys they replaced, right? Kemba is extremely different from Elf in literally every way possible. And Fournier is very different. One funny thing is at the beginning of the year, like we did write about how, like we wrote about how cool, or not, we and other people wrote about how, about all of the changes, the low-hanging fruit changes that came with guys like Kemba and guys like Evan Fournier. Like, oh, look, a two-man game with Julius and Evan Fournier. But unlike last year, Evan Fournier can actually dribble the ball for once or twice. Like, we, we wrote about all that stuff, and we were like, oh, I wonder what's next. Nothing has to come next. Nothing has come next. If you look up any of the articles, um, I think Jackson Frank wrote an article for Basketball News on the early season Knicks, literally when they were 5-1, and one, Bing Bong Knicks. And if you go look at that and look at the um, the tactical things that uh, that the author was praising at the time, the only other tactical change that I can even point to as somewhat positive is uh, Julius lately has started being used as the role man a little bit more. And that's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. How are you going to have the whole season? Oh, no. And, there's some dribble handoffs, There's some dribble handoffs now. We had dribble handoffs in the beginning at the Bing Bong Knicks. So that doesn't count. I'm talking about like stuff that was not on display after five games. There's literally nothing else there. Like, guess what? Evan Fournier is still used as a career low in terms of his off-screen, off-ball three-point shooting. Manuel quickly still never used an off-ball, off-screen three-point shooting. Um, Julius Randle still gets to be the role man as a four for reasons, despite Obi Toppin never getting to be the role man as a four because reasons um you know i could i could go on and on i talked about the defensive uh the schemes always staying the same all the time um it, there's just it's, it's just really sad tactically and I, I'm, I'm i don't know man i'm waiting on that shams tweet i feel like if we don't get it in the next 24 hours beginning of the all-star break then then he's good for the all-star break i don't think they're gonna Although, you know, that'd be some cold shit for Leon to just drop that shit on, like, a long weekend. <laughs> you know, after the dust has settled, the people are chilling with their families. Um, that'd be some devious shit, but I don't, I don't think they would do that. I think they would either do it tomorrow or let, just let the show roll on and let the ping pong balls pile up afterwards. Um, yeah, it's just... <sighs> I I can't even like fathom what we're watching this year because I mean this is like I look I wrote like this entire thread last weekend about why I was feeling like this season sucked in so many ways that other like the Knicks have sucked for what the last twenty years basically so it's not like we're used or we're unused to misery, um, but like this has sucked in. A different way. And a lot of people responded to this entire thread I wrote like, oh, it's just because we have expectations. It's because we have expectations. I'm like, no, it's not because we just have expectations, man. Like, it's because even after I have, I've, I've, you know this, I have like divorced myself from the expectations of what I had coming into the season. I've been in like full on like, the Knicks are going to move up finally in the lottery this year mode. Like, I, I'm I'm divorced from the expectations. That's not disappointing me at all. I I've even I look 
fuck, man. I can even convince myself that that a, a step back this season is a good thing. I truly believe that. I think a step back can be a good thing. I think it can be a good thing for the franchise. And I actually do agree. The one thing Jeff Van Gundy said that I do agree with is that the Knicks should use this to kind of recognize that they are further off than maybe it seemed last year. And they need to make some big roster changes. Like, that's fine with me. I have no problem with any of that. But when in the process of doing that, you need to be working towards something. You need to be evolving and adapting and trying to find out as much as you can possibly find out about the most important players on your roster moving forward. And I want to put this for the Like, if the Warriors can do that shit, the Knicks can do that shit. (laughs) I want to say this too, is like, that's not just about the young guys. It's about finding out, like, hey, how do these young guys look with Julius? How do these young guys look with Toppin in place of Julius? How do these guys look with Julius and Randall, or sorry, Julius and Randall, Julius and Toppin <laughs> together? Like, how, how, how do we look, and how do these other guys look? Like, RJ, Cam, IQ, Grimes, Deuce. Like, how do these guys look in these different contexts that we present with these core players? Like, and we're like shit. I don't. Even, I really would not even mind. It's this is such a foregone season. I would not even mind trying to see what does it look like playing fucking Obi at the three. Who gives a shit? You know, I'd rather get Obi at the three minutes at this point than you know Burks at the three or fucking Todd at the five or whatever the fuck it is. If not, if just to just see what it looks like. You know, I don't care. But you have to find out information. And if you don't do that, and if all we're finding out is Taj is cooked. Kemba is cooked. Evan sucks next to Kemba. Burks sucks as a closer. Burks and Fournier suck together. Like We already know these things, and honestly, even if they were all good, if Kemba wasn't cooked, if Taj wasn't cooked, if like that wouldn't tell us anything that matters for the future of this franchise. Right? Like, like That is what is frustrating, and it's especially frustrating because this is the first time since I have no idea, you'd have to ask a Knicks fan even older than my old ass. Like probably the bomb squad Knicks. It's probably been that long since the Knicks had a young core that could actually be fun and could actually be the foundation of a really good Knicks team moving forward. Does that mean all of the core pieces of that really Knicks good team are already here? No, but there are pieces here. I I refuse to believe that this team is devoid of talent to the degree that people have wanted to apologize for tips for. I refuse to believe it. You know, like I don't care if it quickly had a bad shooting month. He is a good player. That guy that he's a good player. He's good on both ends. He has value. He's gotten better at his playmaking. Amid all his bullshit. He's really yeah, it's, it shows up in the on off like you said. Fournier today was a horrible Fournier defense night. Oh horrible. I'm one of the biggest Fournier defenders. I today he was yeah, he was he was getting he had he had lead fucking sneakers on and he had some of the worst least effective clothes I've ever seen in my life today. But guess what? Like I promise you, every team in the NBA doesn't have five good defenders playing in their starting lineup. I, I, I guys, we're not all the Bucks and the Warriors. I promise you that. It's not like oh my god, like Fournier's, you know, Fournier is a bad defender, therefore, like, what, why Why did we even sign him? Why is he even here? I I promise you teams can succeed in spite of guys who don't defend well. It happens all the time. 
especially when you have a couple of other good defenders like RJ Barrett and Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, who have all for the most part been playing all right on defense uh, aside from Mitch today. And like I said earlier, I'm pretty sure he still has a bum ankle. So like whatever, but Evan Fournier is pretty good. I think he's fifth in the NBA and made threes today, this year. Fifth in the whole fucking NBA in made threes. So, you know, when you have someone like that and you compare them with Quentin Grimes, another really good shooter, and Julius Randle giving you 30 and 10 on a bad night, and Mitchell Robinson being one of the best offensive rebounders in the league. Like, this team isn't good, but they're not the fucking Magic. They're not the Pistons. The East isn't good either. I told you guys the teams ahead of... It's like we're competing with like the Nets and the current Nets and the fucking Wizards and shit like that. Like the Pacers. Like it's it's really weird. Like and it almost makes me it almost makes me excited. That's how weird it is because to me I know that somebody else, whether it's Johnny Bryant or somebody else. I mean, God forbid, there's always a worse coach, so I shouldn't say somebody else. There's always It always could get worse. Um, the Lakers could be looking at Fizdale real soon, so it always could be worse. Um, whoever can come in, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for them. And, again, most NBA coaches are pretty good. Um, Tibbs is decent himself. He just has very pronounced strengths and very pronounced weaknesses. And the combination of factors that have occurred this year have led to those weaknesses being much more pronounced than his strengths, unfortunately. So, you know, I don't feel like you said, I don't have ill will towards him for what he did last year. I have ill will for what he did this year, but if we part ways with him, I'm not going to be like, Oh, Tibbs, fuck that guy. Remember when Tibbs was coaching, I'm going to be like, yeah, he brought us to respectability and then fucking landed the plane on the river. And we passed the reins off to hopefully Johnny Bryant. And there's very simple things pushing with pace, letting IQ, getting the roster rotation straight, letting Evan Fournier get back to coming off screens. I don't even remember the last time he took a three off of movement, man. It's really weird. Um, anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, even even like with quickly, we've seen this where, I mean, look, he missed that. Th- it was probably, it was actually a very good play. Design. Oh, that was fantastic. I was very, very happy when I saw him get that three off of movement. I was, I almost jumped out of my seat, even though he missed. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, but like, it that's what it takes. It, see, this is the problem. Those kind of sets, they're always set plays out of a timeout if we get them. But there's nothing inherently in the offense to trigger that stuff. And like, that is very palpable and very different when you compare us to a team like Miami. Where like, those kind of actions to get movement shooters open, they're not diagram very rote sets they're like in the flow of an entire you know fucking ecosystem of offense like you don't even have to be 20 million dollar duncan robinson like doug mcdermott has played on like a billion teams and every single one of them incorporates doug mcdermott off of screens into their offense when doug mcdermott is in the game you don't have to have years of chemistry and mind meld between your coach and your coach on the floor point guard and your coach on the bench 12th man and you know a bunch of playoff runs like no doug mcdermott could go to a new fucking team every year like he does and i promise you they're gonna run sets to get him off screens because he's a good shooter off screens and you should do that when you have good shooters who can shoot off screens it's not that complicated um 
yeah. All right. I, I we got to talk about this. Got to talk about um, one Mitchell Robinson. I, I yeah, you getting a I, little getting a little shook there. <laughs> I think I'm more than a little shook. I think I'm out. I think I'm out on Mitch, and yeah, it's after the trade deadline. So why the fuck didn't you? Tra- why didn't we trade him? Why we- I don't know. I mean, you can I still know. trade him. That's the yeah, good news. I, yeah. I think yeah, we can still trade him. But anyway, I I want to I want to specifically shout this out because this is why, on top of whatever that quote unquote performance was tonight, um, I listened to the KFS pod that Macri did with Tom Piccolo. A really good pod. Um, Piccolo, Tom. Uh, Tom? Should I, should I call him Tom or should I call him Piccolo? I don't know. Uh, this isn't Dragon Ball Z, so you should call him Tom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> find out on the next episode. Um, so Tom brought up a good point, and I didn't even like realize it until he said it about how scared I am of it. But he was like, man, Mitch is like, He's just like not moving that great all the time out there. He's always like hobbling and like he looks creaky and he's like can't stay healthy for multiple games in a row and he's grabbing his ankle and all this shit. And I'm like, and he's like, I don't know like if I feel great about that. And after he, since I listened to him say that this morning, I have not been able to like, like I literally have not been able to, to shake that feeling. And I'm just now I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, I think I'm out. I think I'm out. Like, I'm just terrified. I would need to, like, have my medical staff do, like, 17 different examinations of him and tell me for sure that it's nothing, you know, that is, should be concerned as long-term. I'm I'm very worried about him. And the other thing I'm worried about is, like, he just has games like this where I don't, like, what was he doing tonight? I mean, forget, as bad as a lot of this game was, and we just spent God knows how much time railing on Tibbs, um, 103-106, we actually force a miss. Mitch is in position, and he lets motherfucking Bruce Brown get an offensive rebound over him. And then... If that's the play I I think you're thinking about, to me, that's the one where him and Julius boxed out the same guy. What's up? Was, was that the play? There was one play where the Knicks... Yeah, 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 they, yeah they, both, they both boxed out Aldridge, whatever it was. I don't yeah, really see- give it. I no, I don't care. I don't care. Okay. You're gonna. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't care. You're seven foot two. You're in a contract here. Go get the rebound. That's it. I don't want to hear any shit. Oh, didn't let that. Fuck you. Go get the rebound. That's it. <laughs> and then on top of this, this fucking idiot, Mills. I don't know what Mills was doing by the way. Mills just like immediately launches a corner three. He was open, but I don't think you should take that shot. Then uh, anyway, he takes this corner three. He misses it. Mitch again cannot grab the rebound. Fucking old ass geriatric was once retired uh you know fucking Lamarcus Aldridge is able to keep the ball alive and somehow tips it and throws it and Patty Mills swings it over across the floor to Cam Thomas like those are just you can't have that I'm sorry you you cannot have and this was not like it wasn't just two it wasn't just because it was two plays in crunch time this was the entire game. Andre Drummond, in year four of your career, cannot be destroying you. He cannot be destroying you. You cannot be like mesmerized by Andre Drummond working the offensive glass. Um, I'm sorry. It's just bad. It's bad. 
I, I thought that was an unacceptable performance from him. He wasn't disciplined. Even when the Knicks were blew out to their 28-point lead, I didn't find what he was doing very disciplined. I thought he got away with a lot of bullshit. Um, I thought he, all his fouls were stupid, lazy fouls. They were all because he fell asleep or fell behind the play. Um, yeah, I thought it was a terrible performance from him. And, and, and this is now two in the last three games. I think he's had a terrible performance. I know in Portland he got hurt, but he was playing terrible even before he got hurt in that game. Um, I, I'm very concerned about him. I think if you can get a good package for him, or even just a decent package for him, and you can replace him with a starting quality center, I think on a scale of 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 dismayed podcast rants to Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl, how happy would you be if Mitch was included in a Brunson signing trade? <laughs> I would be like good with that. I would be good with that. Is what I would say at this point because. Brunson does not have anywhere near the tantalizing upside of of a Mitchell Robinson. There's no world where he's ever going to be the best of his not, position. Or yeah, something. he's never going to be the best at one thing in his position. I mean, I know you people will be like finishing at the rim or something, but like, no, he's. I don't care what percentage he's shooting at. The That's rim. more just like a cool thing he's really good at. Yeah, it's a, yeah. He's not like no. Nah, get the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> but what I know. What Jalen Brunson is, I know pretty reliably what I'm going to get night tonight, right? I know pretty reliably what I'm going to get tonight. You can look at his numbers without Luca. You can look at his numbers with Luca. What he's gotten better this year. He's very. I think he's quite reliable at this point. Is he an all-star point guard? No. Is he a upper echelon top ten point guard? Probably not. Is he more of just an average starting point guard? I think probably yes. Um, but. I know that he is going to be metronomic. I know what I'm going to get from him night to night. Mitchell Robinson, in year four of his career, is still a complete fucking wild card. He really is. Like, and I, I've, I saw a friend of the pod, uh, what is it, A Zulo. Uh, he's posted a lot of positive Mitchell Robinson statistical data over the last few days. It's very tantalizing. He is arguably the best offensive rebounding center in the NBA, which is obviously not in a nothing skill. But, like, is that enough to offset the fact that you don't know what you're going to get from him defensively every night? As good as the 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 high watermarks can be, I don't know what I'm going to get from him every night. I don't know if he is he going to show up to, to training camp in shape. People will be like, "Well, he was off his feet this year. He hasn't shown. He hasn't started a year well in his career since really like, I mean, really ever. Basically, every year he gets off to a fairly slow start and then rounds into shape. So if I'm paying you. And now you're you're paid paid. You're not like, you know, good for ninety nine percent of Americans paid. You're good for like ninety nine point nine percent of Americans paid. Um, what's his motivation going to be like once he locks in that contract? I don't know. That's a concern to me, and I'm willing to overlook that concern if you consistently provide the level of impact that we have seen for you know, I would say the better part of a month, but like, even in that better part of a month, you have these stinker, like just absolute stinker performances like this. And yeah. It's fair. Point. It's fair to say like, you know, sometimes it's the energy in the motor. Other times it's the opponent. Other times it's the injuries, but like there's something that's the thing. Like the variability is there. Like we talk about, 
we're talking about Evan Fournier and his variability being inherent and him being good or not good because of it, depending who you ask. And it's fair. It's fair. And it's also fair to apply that, uh, apply that to defense. Um, you know, like I, I just shitted on Tibbs earlier for not trying different schemes, uh, both this year and previously when Mitch was, uh, more, more mobile, but I, I'm 100% certain that part of the reason Tibbs keeps it simple is to make it easier for Mitch because he's not really good at um, decision-making on the fly like that. I will just, just, I don't, I don't think you need to give Tibbs that because he doesn't even switch up with, like, Taj, really. So That's true. That's whatever. true. Yeah, anyway. Even Nerlens doesn't get yeah. to play up high that much. Well, and well, Nerl- high. <laughs> well, Nerlens just does whatever Nerlens wants, really. I do appreciate <laughs> Shout-out. This is the only Nerlens shout-out I'll give this year because he's had the year from hell and he hasn't been good at the sport, but, like, I, it is it is funny whenever he is. It's not funny when he's doing this and he's not healthy, but it's more funny when he's doing it and he's healthy. He is not afraid to audible and just be like, I'm going to fucking blitz this motherfucker right now and they'll never see it coming. Because yeah. he, his hands are so quick he can get away with that shit. But like nobody else, none of the other Knicks picks are, are ever going to defy Tibbs like that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I think Tibbs just can't. Like It's so weird that Tibbs actually likes him because he's like literally well, the not- most off-schedule player of all time. Well, what does Tibbs really like the most? Decisiveness. Yeah, and also rim protection. And rim protection. And Nerlens offers decisiveness and rim protection, for better and for worse. <laughs> but mostly been worse this year, but... For the, I, mostly I, decisiveness and not rim protection this year. <laughs> I, I gotta... I, I do feel a little bit bad for him, because he's very clearly... Oh, I feel... Yeah, I feel terrible. Like, that's why I, I haven't... He's been awful, but, like... No, there's no two ways about it. He's... He's had a hellish year. Hell, he, he does not resemble the same player. And, like, it sucks that it's on our dime. But, like, that shit just sucks. It just sucks. There's no, he's skinny. Like, it's, it doesn't take much to damage him. Like, he's, he's, that's the downside of being a jumping jack undersized center, right? Like, we talk about the risk that big tall guys like Mitch and Kristaps or whoever have with, with leg injuries. But Nolan's legs weigh, like, 20 pounds. He basically has two broomsticks for legs, so like it doesn't take much to to tweak the balance there. And hopefully, I don't know what if it's a leg injury or some other shit, but hopefully he. I mean, I mean, hopefully the Knicks trade him, but wherever he goes, I hope he can get right. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know. I just whatever. Fuck New Orleans. Um, but like, yeah, I just I don't know what the Knicks do from here. Like, I, I really just I don't know how you can. I don't care what I know. Julius had some quote today about like, yeah, the message is getting through. And I don't care what he says. Like, something is off with this team. Something's been off all year. I think we've all felt it throughout the season. I think we felt it early in the season, even when they were five and one. I mean, they were five and one. But you remember the end of that fucking Bulls game? Are they almost pissed away? Barely. Yeah, like like shit like that is like it's just been weird all year with them. Where it's like, how many games have they really provided? How many games have you watched this year and been like, for 48 minutes, they've been really good? Obviously, nobody's really good for all 48 minutes ever in a game, except no, for maybe we know, we know We know what you're saying. Like, yeah. for the most, like, 48, 48 minutes without some bullshit, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not, like, not just like, oh, missed shots, but like some bullshit. Yeah. They haven't had a game like that. Yeah, and. and I'm sure I'm forgetting like one or two actual blowout wins they had, but aside from that. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, like maybe like the Kings game or like whatever, like that that one Orlando game early in the season where they just blew the fucking brakes off them. But like even all those all those games, they generally tend to be like the Knicks get off to a hot shooting start, blow the game open, and then like you know the, t- the other team just never makes a run or something like that. But like I just don't, I don't really think they they've played with great urgency or effort throughout most of the season. Um, and, and the other thing too is. It's 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 just like you know the, none of the buttons that have been pushed have been right from Tibbs, and and then there's also been like no. It feels like something is just bit broken on the floor with these guys too. Like like it is not looked right. Like there have been brief stretches where you're like, are they turning the corner? Is it happening? But then there are points where you're just like, I don't know, man. Um, and I I do think the cam thing has maybe injected a little bit more like weirdness to it because he kind of has to play cam. And I, I personally don't think that should be like a big crisis. It should just be like, okay, like you guys shared a first round pick for him. I got to find minutes for him. Like, that's not that big of a deal. I'm pretty sure you can go to Alec Burks and be like, look, man, I got to play this guy. Like, it's, you know, this is just what it is. If that's a problem for Burks, tell him like, "Hey, we'll find you a different home this offseason." There's like eight thousand ways to sell it. Like yeah. Burks, for all his skills, is a six foot six shooting guard. He's he's not a large giant person like Cam Reddish. Like, oh, we want, you know, we're trying to shore up our defense. We need more length on the wing. Okay, there's no way you can argue with that if you're like, you can't complain about that if you're Alec Burks, especially with RJ Barrett hurt. Like, what the? F- he, could li- he could probably literally just blame the front office. Yeah, look, like. You know, Alex Burks is such a professional, like, yeah. he'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's just stupid. Like, the fact that he won't do it. And the other thing, too, is you got Johnny Bryant there. You've got fucking Walt Perrin there. It really should not be this much of a crisis. I promise you if they fire Tibbs tomorrow, those two guys could easily, they'll talk to Burks and be like, look, like, Cam's got to get minutes. we got RJ coming back, blah, blah, blah. It'd be like, okay, cool. That's fine. Like, like this guy has been bouncing around the NBA for, like, the last six years. Do you, you know how happy he probably is? to not get traded at the deadline and just, like, be in a motherfucking city for two years in a row. This guy is probably so happy. He's probably just like, damn, like, I love the Knicks. Thank you so much for giving me a second home other than Utah. Like, I just, it's it's not anywhere near as complex as he's made this situation. Um, so I just, I don't know. It just, there's just no sympathy for me. Like, I just have no sympathy for him at this point. Like, Like, I have sympathy for him in the sense of, like, Julius was doing bullshit all year. But around that, like, there's just nothing there that I can point to that I feel, like, great about, you know? And, uh, you know, if you're the Knicks, the other thing you got to think about is this. What are you thinking about doing moving forward? Because everything should be on the table. And when I say everything, that means also... Funny enough, that was uh, Tibbs' quote. One of his quotes yes. after the game. Yeah, we'll see. And he, he also prepped. He also, yeah, guys got to earn it. Like, shut up, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, everything should be on the table for this franchise moving forward. And that doesn't mean I think they should like fucking risk it all for Dame or something. But I do think that like, as well as Julius has played lately, and let's say he plays at the same level to close the season, I still think trading him should be like an option. Like, you should look at that. You should see what's out there. You should put out feelers and figure out what the market is for him. Um, I think everything should be an option for this team because it's okay that the fourth seed happened last year. And maybe that was just like some weird fluky one-off season, but like if anything, that makes it more imperative that they really 
make cold and calculated decisions from this point forward. And like, I just want to say this too. Like, when I say cold and calculated, I do mean cold and calculated, like ruthless shit. Because you got to be ruthless in this league. And one thing I liked about that Kings deal, um, the the Halliburton trade is, we'll see how it works out for them, how it works out for the Pacers and whatever. But that was like a cold-hearted evaluation deal. That was we. I don't. I think they love Halliburton. I don't think they trade Halliburton because they were like, we're trying to sell high on him and he sucks. I think they decided they needed to sell high on him because they needed to change the fucking structure of their roster. And that was the best way to do it. It upgraded a, a area of deficiency. It got them a high, high-level player in return. And they were ruthless. They did not get emotional about it. They did not do the trade because they drafted a Halliburton. He's so good. It, nope. It was fucking heartless. It was ruthless, and that's what they needed to do. And the last time the Knicks made a real ruthless decision was when they traded Kristaps. And that was a great decision. That was the right decision. And I think that's that's proven to be a very good decision. They have to be ruthless this offseason. They got to make cold, calculated decisions. And I think removing Tibbs makes that a lot easier. Because I think if Tibbs is here, and Tibbs was going to be here, whatever, I don't think Tibbs will be here now at this point for sure. Whether that happens today or tomorrow or this offseason, whatever, I don't think he'll be here. But if Tibbs had been here for another year or was going to be here for another year, I don't think you can get rid of Taj. I don't think you can get rid of Derrick Rose. But if Tibbs isn't here, ruthless. Yeah, and I don't mean that like I don't, so- ruthless is not even the right word. I know exactly what you're saying. Like ruthless is not even the right word because that that like has this kind of like foul conniving connotation. It's more just like practical. Like oh yeah, like there's lots of there's lots of options for how we can move forward. Like perhaps we have Jalen Brunson now, and we want to give quickly the backup minutes. Maybe that means we can see which of these other playoff teams would like Derrick Rose because I promise a lot of them would. It's yeah. easy. That's not, you know, no, it's not like, it's not like little fingers. Chaos is a ladder speech here. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's also just like, like when I say that too, like, like let's be realistic here. If you looked at all the guys that are expiring contracts next year, um, it's, it is like Rose, Burks, Kemba, Taj, and Noel, they're all expiring. Taj isn't even guaranteed next year, so they should just wave his ass. Um, but Rose, like, out of those guys, Rose probably has, the, I mean, I don't probably, he has the most trade value. Because his injury this year, people would chalk that up to Tibbs, you know, running him into the ground. But he's the one guy who, you know, if you can manage his minutes, in a playoff setting especially, he can help you. He can help a really good team even. Like, he has skills. He's turned himself into a quality shooter down from the perimeter. Um, like, so many teams he'd be fantastic for yeah. in limited minutes. So, so many get, teams. You can get actual value for him in a trade this offseason. And getting that money off the books, maybe that makes it easier to get Brunson. Maybe you can use him as part of a package that returns Brunson, whatever the fuck it is. Um, and not just Brunson, but what, Brunson is just a good name to throw out there for a point guard basically but like whatever you do the knicks just gotta they got to really 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 make just like you said practical dishes decisions decisions that are not based on emotions or 
maintaining relationships positively or whatever. And like you can be like you can explain stuff to these guys without it being savage, right? Like, hey, Derek, we're trying we're thinking about pivoting in a different direction. Like, if you want to be here, great, but um if you want to move, let us know and let us know some teams that you would like to go to. We'll try to get you to one of them. We'll try to get you to a contending situation. You know, like these are the kind of things that you need to talk to these guys about. Like, Bert, they have a bunch of professionals on the team. Even yeah. like the guys who we would consider like the most wild out on the team, like Cam. Look at what Cam did. Quietly let the Hawks know, like, hey, this isn't really what I signed up for. Y'all might feel differently, so let's try to work something out. And they tried to work something out. The first team that met the conditions the front office had set forward for value was the Knicks. They pulled the trigger. No hard feelings between Schlenk or whatever and, and Cam. They, like, I don't think that was an act for the for the press or whatever. I think they genuinely were like, all right, we're happy we got what we wanted and you got what you wanted, even though Cam didn't really get what he wanted yet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody – they've done well by so many of these guys that I don't think anybody would trip over, over a trade. Like, the young guys have all, for the most part – Obi's like the ultimate good soldier. The other young guys have all seen their stocks rise and their career prospects increase for this team in short order. The vets have had their careers ranging from resurrected to prolonged. And then guys like Julius have straight up turned their career around completely and become different players, like very good players. So everybody, they're not stupid. I don't think the Knicks are stupid. Like the players, like they see how much... Every, they know everybody on this team is, for the most part, good at something. A consolidation is going to happen. That's how the shit works. So I wouldn't be worried about that at all. The politics of this are on the low end of tricky situations in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and, you know, like the Knicks were going to fire Tibbs one day. So I don't think this really needs to be like some... You know what the best part about this bullshit is? You could already see fucking people in the press trying to frame this as like, oh, the Knicks are, you know, they're scapegoating Tibbs. Like, Tibbs is the fall guy for this shit. Like, no. No, bro. They, they ain't no fall guy. He's just not fit for purpose anymore. Like, That's the other upside of um, and we don't have to prolong this too long, but that's the other upside of doing it now rather than at the end of the season because you bring someone like Johnny Bryan in, take the low-hanging fruit, new coach bump, which is a real thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they fired Tibbs, but they seem to be, they seem to have some pep in their stuff now for Johnny Bryant. That's the, that's the talking points that you go into the off season with. There are much worse places to be than that. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I I completely agree. Um, I'm going to take mad victory laps. If they do fire Tibbs early though, you don't understand. I'm going to go to every single person on Nick's Twitter who told me it wouldn't happen and just be like, I told you so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. So, all right. I think that's. I felt like we were talking for two hours, but apparently it's only been 98 minutes. So, uh, a short, short pod uh, for the people. Um, there you go. I think we'll, we'll just make this one. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, 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 this one will be free. This one, we'll make this available to everybody. Everybody needs to listen to this one. Um, all right. That is our pod for today. Uh, Prez, 
Is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, I think I do think that there may be uh, some renewed interest, increased interest in uh, more Draft Strickland episodes if that's happening anytime soon. Hey, man, I'm watching them download counts. I'm going to be very disappointed in you listeners. That's right. I'm talking to you if I don't get a strong uptick in downloads in the next couple of months. We're here for you. So be here for me. That's all I ask. So on that, yeah, I'll plug the new Josh Strickland jobs tomorrow, um, Thursday. So uh, it's actually really good. And it's of probably going to be one of the episodes that I think will be of most interest to uh, listeners because we're talking about three guys who can go in the 6 to 12 range. So probably where the Knicks are going to pick. Um. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Knicks are picking a four, and they're going to get Jaden Ivey. So I have to deal with that fact. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have some firm, firm words for Mr. Adam Silver, uh, who is no friend of mine. Uh, and that fucking asshole, that smiling motherfucker, Mark Tatum, uh, who is a true jackass. But all right. I personally, myself, have nothing to plug. So I will plug this. I will plug all of the amazing recaps that people like Matthew Miranda and Jeffrey Rasmussen, that's who is at Frank Barrett on Twitter, uh, all the people that have, Colin, who has done tweets during all these miserable games, Tyrese, who's done post games, and Sam, who's done post games, all of these people that have put out content during what has been one of the most weird, weirdly depressing seasons in recent Knicks history um, deserve a lot of credit. And I'm very thankful for the work they've done and you should check all of it out. Uh, Cause it's great. Uh, but that is our pod for today. Hope everybody has a much better fucking weekend than whatever this bullshit as week was. Uh, and I will see you on whatever the fuck I see. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.